Welcome to the Discover Strength Podcast, where we ditch the fads and bring you the latest research on exercise to help you look and feel your best in a fraction of the time. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Herlihy, an exercise physiologist with Discover Strength. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Discover Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Emmett Hurley. He's so excited to be joined today by Dr. James McKendry, a research fellow, I hope I'm saying that correct, out of McMaster University in Canada. You'll know previous researchers from McMaster, such as Dr. Stu Phillips, Dr. Sarah Oikawa, and we're so excited to have uh, Dr. McKendry on today. So please introduce yourself, uh, Dr. McKendry, and we'll, we'll jump right into this episode. Hi there, Logan. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, my name is James, Dr. James McKendry. I'm a postdoctoral research fellow in Stu Phillips Protein Metabolism Research Lab and have been there since summer 2019. Um, shall I give you a bit more background about my... Uh, yeah, my inception yeah. into research, perhaps. Yeah, for sure. We'd love that. And just, just for our listeners, uh, this this protein metabolism lab at McMaster is widely regarded as, as probably the, the leading researchers in the world of protein metabolism. Um, Stu's work is, is sort of legendary in the field. He's got all kinds of recognitions. And to be a part of that group is, is a really distinguished honor. So we know that Dr. McKendry knows what he's doing uh, in order for them to, <laughs> to, to give him a flyer and give him a chance. So yeah, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got to McMaster, maybe some of your background in exercise science uh, and and where you're from, all that kind of stuff. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks very much. Um, my introduction to research actually happened during the end of my undergraduate project at the University of Birmingham back in the UK. Uh, there was a new lecturer who joined the department, uh, a former trainee of Stu's, Dr. Lee Breen. And he offered me the opportunity to undertake a really cool research project investigating the role of rest interval in your ability to build muscle, essentially. So we compared long and short rest intervals and looked at the how effective that was for inducing muscle growth in the really acute phase. And it was really this um, exposure to this project that really got my... Uh, going for pursuing muscle physiology research and particularly involving like complex methods like the biopsies and stabilized traces that we routinely use in the lab to investigate these protein metabolism questions. So this is not what we're going to be discussing today particularly, but I'd love to know what is the best rest interval? <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a commonly held dogma or whether or not it still persists that a short rest interval is actually superior for skeletal muscle growth. And the, well, at least from the investigation that we performed, I would have to say that that's perhaps not the case. And a short rest interval somewhat compromises exercise training volume, and that can lead to inferior gains in muscle growth in the acute post-exercise period. And that there are plenty of training studies now that have shown almost the same thing that perhaps a longer rest into rest period between sets of exercise might be superior for promoting muscle hypertrophy or muscle growth. 
Yeah. And for our listeners who are maybe getting excited that that means they get to rest a little bit longer in between uh, chest press and pull down what Dr. McKendry is talking about as well as multi-set training more than likely I'm assuming in his uh, training protocol. So you will not get to rest for two minutes or more in between your sets. Sorry guys. Uh, but please keep, keep going. Tell us how you maybe made it to McMaster and then sort of lay the foundation for us uh, for this paper that we're going to be discussing today. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, it was my old supervisor, Dr. Lee Breen, who introduced me to Stu at a conference, the European College of Sports Science in Dublin. And it was there that I kind of approached him and he offered me the opportunity to pursue a postdoctoral research fellowship, investigating a really cool thing. So my main focus at the moment is protein intake in older individuals. So uh, manipulating the protein quality and the distribution and that's really the project I've been working on for most of my time at McMaster, of course, hampered by COVID, which has been a bit of a slog. But yeah, um, and this paper was really proposed to us as the, it was the inaugural publication in this new journal, the Exercise, Sport and Movement, a new thing from the American College of Sports Medicine. And it was pitched to us to we were really wanted to do a graphical review. So you'll see from the paper, perhaps, that there are some somewhat uh, nice figures. And I spent some of the COVID buried in my basement, getting really good at Adobe Illustrator. So <laughs> there should be some really nice takeaway points that really summarize the overarching thesis of the paper. Yeah. And, and, and it was a really nice opportunity to perhaps hammer home some of the higher level benefits that people often don't associate with resistance training. Yeah, and I think that's probably a good starting point to, yeah, no, that's, to get that's, into the crux of it. That's perfect, Dr. McKendry. And um, I, I think we might actually have to have you on again to discuss uh, protein intake in older individuals, because that's such an important uh, topic for not just our listeners, but I think um, most individuals. And we'll obviously be discussing older individuals a little bit in, in depth here today as we talk about some of the benefits of resistance training. But this partic uh, particular paper I, I could not recommend highly enough to our listeners. There's a lot of research that we read that's very high level, um, is you know a little bit daunting, even for, for I'm sure some other researchers to dive in if you weren't directly involved in the project and try to interpolate, interpolate, interpret and extrapolate different, uh, different um, takeaways from that information. This paper, very easy to read, very approachable, and you did very good on uh, Adobe Illustrator because some of these illustrations, <laughs> some of these graphs, I, I really thought were, were some of the best I've seen as far as really visualizing the importance of resistance training and why it can help people um, over the long term. So the name of the paper before we dive in is the health benefits of resistance exercise beyond hypertrophy and big weights. So Dr. McKendry, what was the impetus for this paper? Now you kind of talked to us a little bit about them approaching you, why the title, what were you hoping to sort of take away or, or have your readers take away from reading this paper? I think for a long, long time now, the primary focus of exercise guidelines has been that we should perform these 150 minutes of aerobic tra exercise training per week uh, or 75 minutes of perhaps vigorous, slightly more vigorous perhaps, which might be a more appropriate for your listeners because I'm sure that the high intensity interval training, they definitely don't want to be doing 150 minutes of that a week. Um yeah, I th the real purpose for this was to 
really communicate the benefits that most people associate resistance training with, oh, I'm going to get big muscles and somewhat get stronger, I think. But there are so many more far-reaching and high-level global benefits that you can obtain from resistance training. And we really wanted to hammer home those as an important point to include in people's regular exercise programs. Yeah. And I think one of the things we'll discover as we sort of uh, look through this paper as well is that it takes a lot less time than people think, right? They see these recommendations in things like the ACSM and uh, American College of Exercise, NASM, all these different certifying bodies that are trying to do their best to say, hey, here's the recommendations for the masses, try to hit these things. But um, I'm not sure if you've been a practitioner in the past, it can be very daunting for people to say, oh my gosh, I have to do 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous cardio exercise each week, plus another, you know, 30 to 90 minutes, whatever the recommendations are now of resistance training, like how am I supposed to fit that into my lifestyle? So I I think the other reason I I enjoyed this paper so much is as we'll find out uh, some of the actual recommendations of what the research is starting to point to um, makes exercise much more um, able to fit into people's lifestyles. So uh, let's, you know, it's, it's very easy to get lost in the minutiae of how to exercise. But I think the big takeaway here is participating in resistance training has a plethora of different benefits. And this paper looked at a lot of those really important benefits in detail and sort of uh, examines the value of resistance training and what it has to offer. So let's kind of point by point, go through this paper, if that's okay with you. And, and sort of, you can, you can um, break down each section for us uh, that goes through and we'll start off with a uh, big takeaway. What was the paper hoping to find? You've discussed that a little bit, but maybe sort of the, the thesis and the idea of this paper, and then we can jump into uh, the mobility section right after that. Awesome. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think just to reiterate, I think the the focus for this was to really hammer home the fact that resistance exercise or exercise guidelines up until now had really focused on aerobic training. And recently, certainly within Canada anyway, the Canadian Exercise Society for Exercise Physiology their 24-hour movement guidelines now include these two times per week resistance training or muscle strengthening activities as a focus for promoting overall health. And I think there's a lot of evidence now that resistance exercise not only builds these big muscles, but it builds resilience and it can improve mobility and reduce falls risk, which is a huge concern in older individuals. Um and there are a lot of other benefits that somewhat overlap with resistance training, with aerobic training, particularly with, uh, I guess, the recent influx of low load resistance training, which really does help to make some of these what are quite daunting exercise programs much more accessible for everybody. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the, like you're saying this idea that there, you used to have to think, uh, in order to improve strength, you'd have to lift these really heavy loads. And as we're starting to continue to see, and we've discussed multiple times on this podcast, now this idea of the repetition continuum is much broader than we originally thought. And there's a lot of benefits of resistance training to be elucidated out of simply doing higher volumes and lower weights, especially for these aging populations that can benefit from really doing anything. And, 
Um, this brings us to the first really impressive graphic here uh, that you have that obviously will link to this this paper. Did you do all of these? You made all of these graphics? Most of them? I wish I them? could take credit for <laughs> yeah, some of them, um, but the co-authors, the other postdoctoral research fellows, uh, Sid, Everson, and Chang in the lab, they all helped. Uh, gotcha. They all have exceptional graphic skills as well, so I can only yeah. take credit for one or two of them. Yeah, well, this what this first one is great. It just shows some of the adaptations of specifically resistance training versus some of the adaptations of specifically aerobic training versus what you can get from both, right? And and the reality is, is besides cardiorespiratory function, it's pretty much resistance training sort of takes a cake with most of them, right? Now, there's a little bit of overlap um, on, on a lot of the other ones as well, um, but besides cardiorespiratory function, and again, we're... It, it depends probably what kind of training you're doing, but specifically for the purpose of this paper, uh, I think knowing that you can get a lot of these same benefits from resistance training that you can from aerobic training will, will sort of bring us to, to some of these points. So a little bit more about mobility and falls. I think something that's, that's really worth discussing is why is mobility important in aging populations? Now you, you touched on it a little bit, but maybe go a little bit deeper into why something like resistance training might be important for mobility. Uh, and function in older individuals. Yeah, absolutely. So I think one of the really important things, and I'm sure some of your listeners will have experienced this, that as they've progressed from, say, around the age of 40, uh, you start to experience what maybe some people term this sarcopenia, which means the loss of muscle mass with, with aging. But more importantly than that, I would say, is to the loss of muscular strength, not the mass. And muscular strength in an aging population is really predictive of lots of adverse health outcomes. So um, the inability to rise from a chair, uh, the, the ability to stop yourself from falling. And these are really serious consequences that if older individuals are unable to are unprepared for in some sense through developing these adaptations through exercise, then their quality of life really can be drastically hampered uh, and they can lose their physical independence much earlier than they perhaps anticipated. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of us have experienced this maybe from our parents or our grandparents. Uh, if you've ever visited an old folks home, you've seen some pretty depressing, um, you know, examples of people who've, who've lost their, not their necessarily cognitive function, but their physical function, which gosh, to go through the world without being able to lift yourself out of the chair um, when you had that ability not too long before has is, is got to be frustrating. So to know that we can improve people's ability to live their lives, to improve improve health span, as we might want to call it, um, I think is, is so important. And just really highlighting again why aerobic training alone, which has long been recommended for people of all ages, is not enough, right? Because it's not going to improve muscle strength. It's definitely not going to improve hypertrophy or, or muscle building, but it's certainly not going to improve strength, which as you noted, there is, is probably the most important marker. Um, there was a little section I, I highlighted here at the end that I think was, uh, you know, worth reading out loud here. It's resistance training improves mobility in the elderly and combining resistance training and aerobic training along with balance training effectively reduces falls in care facilities. However, aerobic training alone does not promote the muscle mass and strength strength gains seen with resistance training. And then they go on to talk about, well, do you need heavier loads? And the answer is probably not, right? So doing resistance training is going to 
to give you, um, you know, potentially your, your life back in that sense of, of mobility and activities of daily living, which are obviously super important to, to aging populations. everyone. We'll be back to our episode shortly here. I just wanted to take a moment to sit down with the CEO of Discover Strength and ask him a couple questions about something really interesting going on in our company. Luke, thanks for joining me. I'm just going to kick right into it. Why are we franchising Discover Strength and how can people learn more about it? Logan, thanks for having me on. You know, Discover Strength has been around for 17 years as we record this. And a few years ago, we thought, well, franchising really aligns with two of the things that we've always been passionate about. One, developing exercise professionals, and two, developing leaders and managers. And I had spent so much time speaking on a plane every week of the year, speaking on leadership and management or how we do exercise. And over time, I thought, why aren't I doing this for our own system? Why aren't I developing leaders and managers and exercise professionals as a part of a franchise system. So that's uh, those two passions combined with the idea that, hey, one of our Discover Strength Studios, the unit economics are strong. And that's kind of a requirement of franchising. You had to have good unit economics of your restaurant, of your shop, of whatever your concept is. So we we kind of started this process about two years ago based on those two realities. So I love Discover Strength. I'm a current client. What is my next step? What do I need to do to start to learn more about this and potentially be the owner of my own Discover Strength franchise? This person can go to our website and uh, uh, click on the link that schedules an introductory call. But that introductory call just kicks off a discovery process. So you go through a, a few minute screening call just to learn a little bit more about what you're getting into. And it's just a, a process of us getting to know you and you getting to understand the concept more and more over a few week period. We call that mutual discovery. We're trying to understand if we're great fits for each other. That's awesome. So for anyone who's interested, if you've thought or are maybe now thinking that owning and operating a Discover Strength franchise would be for you, visit the website, take the next step, go have a conversation with Luke and the rest of the leadership team and start the journey to really loving what you do. Thank you so much for joining us, Luke. So let's talk about the next section here, I think is, is something that's continuing to be really interesting in the resistance training research is this idea of improving cognitive function through resistance training. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what the research is saying in that area? Again, yeah. So I think this, uh, this paper is somewhat, I'm realizing now, a lot more geared towards the older or aging populations. So we know that individuals tend to experience some sort of cognitive functional decline as they progress through life. And recent evidence has pointed towards perhaps that resistance training may be able to improve or at least mitigate some of that decline. So lessen the amount that you do lose as you progress through age. Um, and one of the proposed mechanisms, if you really want to, is this 
BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, but essentially what it does is promote growth of neurons or maintains lots of those connections in the brain. So uh, that's that's the mechanism through which it works, but this can be really important. I mean, you've seen, you've probably seen some sort of cognitive decline, like you mentioned in some of our older relatives, and it's not fun to watch, but if resistance training can go some way to mitigating or lessening that loss, then it should definitely be promoted very widely. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's unfortunately sort of a, a twofold issue with these first two specifically that we see in our aging populations is, you know, you lose mobility, so you lose functionality. And then as it sort of talks about in this next graphic, which is also great as well, is when you become especially sedentary, which happens when you lose mobility, you experience cognitive decline, right? So um, the more sedentary you are, the less you're moving around, the less you have ability to move through the world and, and perform these activities of daily living. It seems like for most people, that cognition just starts to go, which is, is a shame. And I've actually, unfortunately, seen firsthand my mom uh, had dementia and Alzheimer's. And as soon as we put her in a home, I mean, the the fall off was drastic. Within two years, what was a somewhat functioning person, um, you know, she she had almost no cognition at all anymore. So I've seen it firsthand. Now, obviously, that's just an anecdote, but I'm sure uh, our listeners have had experiences with with similar things. So these two specifically to me are so interrelated and so important um, when it comes to our aging and elderly populations. Um, I again, I think just an area worth highlighting here is compared to the non-exercise control group, resistance training performed twice a week for long periods. Uh, and at a moderate intensity is more likely to improve overall cognitive function and cognitively healthy older adults. Um, the positive effects of cognition can manifest in resistance training programs lasting less than 16 weeks in older adults who are cognitively impaired. So it's going to benefit people who already are functioning at a higher level and people who may be functioning at a lower level. Anything else from the cognition perspective uh, besides BDNF, any other um, interesting areas worth sharing? Yeah, so I think it seems to selectively improve some particular aspects of cognitive function. So it predominantly, these seem to be generally uh, geared towards executive function, so planning and those kinds of things. But there seems to be some indication that it doesn't seem to improve working memory. So global cognitive executive abilities, planning, decision-making, these things seem to be seriously benefited but there's no good or strong evidence for improvements in memory at the moment, but definitely an exciting area of research to be pursued in the future. Yeah. You just get them on, uh, on creatine though. Right. And then uh, with all that research that's showing brain, brain improvements in creatine, you might see some, some improvements there as well. Um, let's talk about this next section. Again, I, I can't highly recommend enough for people to read this paper. It is, you know, maybe four pages if you print it all the way out, actually print it out uh, and take out the um, the references and stuff here. The graphics are great. I would highly recommend all of our listeners go through this one. Let's talk about this next section on cancer, right? So what does the research have to say as far as decreasing your risk for cancer um, with a proper resistance training program? And what kind of programs have people done to do things like that? Yeah, so I think this is probably the the messiest of the sections. Um, 
of course, resistance exercise can't do anything to pre- uh, to prevent you perhaps from getting it. And some there are some cases that these are just unavoidable of life's consequences. But there are serious benefits to performing resistance exercise if you do have. It can mitigate some of the declines in muscle mass that you might see with uh, some of the cancer therapies. So um, it can also improve your ability to improve your, uh, reduce morbidity essentially and increase your chances of survival. So muscle mass is extremely important and predictive of long-term health outcomes. And while you may not be able to improve or increase lots of your muscle mass or functional characteristics, you definitely can do somewhat, do something to prevent the decline in these, in these cases. Uh, I think it also goes some way of reducing the chemotoxicity. So, which means when you are undergoing cancer therapy, you can, with a larger muscle mass, you essentially have lots more places for these chemicals to go. So reducing the burden on your whole body, which can be really important. Yeah. I I, I mean, I think the thing with cancer, and it's obviously super important to highlight here that again, this is just sort of a aspect that comes from aging, from being a person, right? So resistance training is not going to stop you from getting cancer um, potentially, but you have a much higher likelihood, it seems like, if you've got a higher potential muscle mass compared to the average person who would go in for cancer treatment to have better outcomes, right? And there's a few reasons for that, obviously, muscle wasting, more places for the the chemotherapy drugs to go, to be um, to move through the body. And then also, I think one of the interesting things that I've seen in the research too, and I think you guys highlighted here, is just the mental aspect, right? Going through a resistance training program or continuing a resistance training program, which we, again, anecdotally have done with clients at Discover Strength. I've trained people going through chemotherapy. It just gives them an aspect of normality, um, the ability to work their muscles in a way, uh, you know, even though they're extremely fatigued, even though they feel like, you know, the world might be against them at the moment, there's something to going through that process of normality. And there's probably some really good, uh, you know, side effects that are coming from resistance training, even if you are undergoing cancer treatment at the time. Um, any other interesting aspects in this area that you think are worth sharing, Dr. McKendry? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the really interesting things is perhaps if you're preparing for a surgical intervention, there's a really nice upsurge in research focused on prehabilitation. So preparing for periods where you may not be able to exercise and building up that reserve capacity. I know there's some really cool researchers in the UK doing some good things there. So uh, Dr. Lee Breen, one of my former supervisors, done some really cool prehabilitation stuff prior to a bout of bed rest. And Dr. Beth Phillips in Nottingham University, she's doing some really cool stuff with surgical cancer interventions. And whether it, I think it's a a high intensity interval training preparatory phase prior to cancer removal. So some really cool research coming out of their labs and shows that it somewhat can, you can prepare a little bit for these periods of unexpected or even expected bed rest periods which can be really really bad for your muscle loss 
Yeah, I, I think that's such an important point. And I'm so glad you brought that up because that's something um, we've experienced or, or recommended to people in the past too, right? You may be extremely healthy right now. You may be going through uh, a busy period in your life, but you're fitting in your strength training and you're participating in prehab without even knowing it, right? <laughs> the sooner you can start a program like this, the more prepared you'll be for those unexpected things that happen as part of the human condition. Um, or specifically, like you're talking, about if you, God forbid, uh, develop some kind of cancer, you develop uh, something that has to, to, some kind of surgical intervention that has to happen, knowing that you can take a few months and see great results, see great benefits in the gym before some kind of surgery, before some kind of surgical intervention is such an important point for our listeners. Um, you know, Hopefully they don't ever have to use that advice, but if they do, um, it's good to know that there's a lot more research that's just affirming this idea out there as well. So let's let's jump to this next section. I think it's probably one of the most important ones for Americans. Now, I know Canadians are, are maybe experiencing some of these issues as well, but this idea of metabolic health, um, I, I'm not exactly sure what the number is now. The last time I saw it, it was somewhere in the uh, percentage of 30% of Americans are obese or overweight. Um, I'm sure it's higher than that now, especially post-COVID, um, which puts people at a greater risk of things like type 2 diabetes. Um, so what does the research say or metabolic syndrome, what does the research say about, uh, how resistance training can impact things, uh, regarding your metabolic health, things like type two diabetes, metabolic sy syndrome, et cetera. Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think a really, really important issue given the current state of affairs worldwide following the global pandemic. Um, of course, one of the main I know this paper says more than big muscles and big weights and big muscles, but one of the main places that fuel following eating goes is to the muscles. So essentially through resistance training, if you can increase the amount of muscle that what you, you have, you essentially have a bigger metabolic basin to deposit all of those fuels. So by having more muscle mass, you can mop up all the sugar and stuff in your bloodstream and you have a bigger bigger basin to dispose of it. Uh, you also increase the sensitivity of the muscle that you do have to take up those nutrients. And this is really the, the crux of what leads to the improvements in metabolic health. So more muscle and more sensitive muscle. Yeah, which is obviously super important for things like type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, um, things that a, a large number of, of Americans and Canadians and people all over the world uh, are experiencing as they, um, you know, continue to uh, struggle or not be able to control and uh, consumption, perhaps. But knowing that there's a way to, like you said, I think that's a great way to think about it, mop up some of these uh, things that we're eating or, or uh, taking in these different chemicals that are going on in our body. I, I think one of the, the cool takeaways for me, though, as well, is obviously, like you said, having bigger muscles gives you a bigger reservoir for these different things. But uh, that the data suggested that aerobic training or resistance training can improve metabolic health irrespective of increasing muscle mass as well. So obviously, increasing muscle um, gaining some hypertrophy is a, a great benefit, but simply partaking in these activities, doing something like resistance training at discover strength, or doing something like a 
Dr. Martin Gabala's one minute, you know, high intensity interval training workout is going to give you benefits um, for somebody who's maybe struggling with some of these metabolic issues. Any other big uh, takeaways on this one, things that people can maybe start putting into practice from a metabolic perspective? Certainly with the move towards lower load resistance exercise and high intensity or body weight kind of approaches, um, you can improve lots of the mitochondrial function. So you, most people know this as the, the powerhouse of the cell. And forgive me for using that term. I overuse it all the time. But essentially, uh, you can get lots of when you use a lower load for prolonged periods, as opposed to the typical high load to build muscle resistance training, you can get lots of the aerobic training benefits from that kind of approach to resistance training, which is really important and can certainly improve the metabolic health and the flexibility or fuel selection for individuals. Yeah. And, and just another great graphic in this paper too, on this one, as far as metabolic health goes. And, and again, important to show the difference. If uh, some of our listeners may be familiar with uh, what's called the fat, but fit paradigm, right? So you can be overweight. You can um, maybe have a little more fat tissue than would be advisable otherwise. But if you're doing resistance training, if you're participating in aerobic training, you are significantly healthier than somebody who's the same size, who's not doing those same activities. So even if you're not necessarily seeing the weight loss, even if you're not necessarily seeing those differences, uh, in your waist, you're doing something that's really, really valuable, uh, and important for your health and longevity. So speaking of health and longevity, let's dive into the big one here, uh, mortality. What did the research have to say about resistance training and how it can affect mortality, uh, overall for, uh, people? Yes, excellent. Um, so I think this one is, like you say, the big one. And essentially, it really shows that even when you control for cardiovascular fitness, increases in muscle strength can reduce your chances of mortality, all-cause mortality, cardiovascular disease, cancer mortality, essentially improves your likelihood of survival longer term, um, irrespective of various other things. So you're, like I said, your cardiovascular fist, fitness and other aspects. So I don't think that can be stated as more of an important outcome. Um, you're less likely to die if you're strong and lifting weights, essentially. And, and let's, let's just take a moment to talk about some of those recommendations, because I thought it was interesting what the actual recommendations were based on the current literature. What does this paper say people should be doing from a weekly perspective as far as time considerations um, for how much resistance training or aerobic training they should be doing? I think you can get lots of the benefits from actually pretty minimal amount of input. There's a really low threshold and we know the biggest improvements come from doing no exercise, going to doing some exercise. And then there's, of course, diminishing returns as you increase volume throughout the week. But you can get lots of the benefits from 60 to 120 minutes per week or even less for 30 to 60 in some cases, which I know will be particularly pleasing to some of your listeners, given that they approach the it's like, did you say two weeks? Two twice a week for 30 twice, minute sessions, twice a week for 30 minute sessions. And I promise 
listeners, DS uh, clients, we are not paying these doctors to make these publications <laughs> because sometimes it seems like we just just hit the lotto with uh, you know the twice a week recommendation, um, which puts us right at that sixty minute uh, window. But yeah, I, I I mean I think this recommendation here at the end that that uh, Mama, if I'm saying that all uh, correctly, Mama at all paper found that the maximum risk reduction for all cause cardiovascular and total cancer mortality was with approximately 30 to 60 minutes a week of resistance training. In contrast, the risk for type 2 diabetes mortality decreased sharply up to 60 minutes of resistance training. And then obviously the little caveat at the end that the optimal dose of resistance training to reduce all cause and disease specific mortality remains to be determined. So I, I think it's just so important to overemphasize and re-say it and say it again, that if you just do something, you're going to see so many improvements in your, your overall health and life benefits, you know, shifting this idea from how long can we live to how well can we live? So that lifespan to health span idea, uh, I think can just not be overstated enough. You know, what did they say that, uh, youth is wasted on the young, right? So (laughs) The idea, if we can start making these actions now and start making these improvements, you're just going to um, live a much healthier, better overall life. Any other takeaways from this mortality piece, things that you think are important to share with our listeners? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head there, to be honest. The the extension of people, individuals' health span, squashing those years of morbidity to right at the end of natural life. So I think you couldn't have said anything. So I spent my PhD focused on a really interesting cohort of individuals looking at master athletes. So they were 60, 70, 80 year olds, still running marathons, still competing in powerlifting competitions. And most of them, if not, in fact, all of them still had excellent mobility, could go about their daily lives doing exactly what they wanted, weren't hampered by lots of the age associated diseases that You've, you can see in this paper, resistance exercise does really well to combat. So, yeah, yeah. lift early, lift long, and keep doing it for as long as you possibly can. Yeah, and I, I think we're in a unique position at Discover Strength, and I'm sure, um, you know, whether we've got a listener out there or um, somebody who's seen one of our our you know, clients that comes in, we've got plenty of clients that are in their seventies, eighties that come in and are in great shape and are are probably similar to those masters athletes you're talking about. And then occasionally you'll be on the street, you'll meet somebody and you'll go, how old are you? And they go, Oh, I'm 65. And it's like, geez, you look like you're 85 compared to my other 65 year old that I met who seems like they're, you know, what I would think would be 45. Right. So it's, it's, um, you know, there's a lot of things you can do to improve um, your ability to just move through the world and enjoy your time, that limited time that you have here. I think for me, um, the biggest takeaways, and I'd love to hear yours as well, is there's really no good reason not to resistance training. I mean, the more we see, the more research comes out, uh, there's no good reason not to resistance training. But there is a, a bunch of research showing negative outcomes if you don't resistance train. Um, I think this is a big one that can't be overstated either is that it's never too late to start, right? That initial phase, like you talked about, whether you're uh, 27 or you're 77, 
doing something, moving from being inactive to active is, is such a huge improvement for most people. And you don't need much to be very effective. It seems like that 30 to 60 minutes per week of resistance training, as you get stronger, maybe adding in some aerobics, um, just to, to feel better, to do those things, you're going to improve your mobility. You're going to improve your cognitive function. You're going to decrease cancer risk, improve overall metabolic health. If you're pre-diabetic or type two diabetic or have metabolic syndrome, and then just overall improvements in it's going to make you harder to kill, right? You're going to improve your mortality risk factors, live healthier and longer. Am I missing anything? Is there any other important takeaways you think our listeners should have? No, I think that's absolutely perfect. So resistance exercise is good combined with aerobic training. If you want even better. So I think doing something is always going to be better than doing nothing. But me as a self-confessed or somewhat of a meathead in my youth, uh, my goal now is at 32 is to get as big and strong as I possibly can before age starts to get the better of me. So I'm starting from a higher set point from where I start to lose that muscle and fitness. That's the, yeah. that's the plan. I'm I'm right there with you, buddy. I'll be 35 tomorrow. So we're just trying to, trying to beef up to be ready for be ready for the later years. Well, Dr. McKendry, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, we'll definitely try to get Dr. McKendry back on to talk about some of his uh, protein intake research with older individuals. I'd love to, to grab some of that contact info from, from some of those other researchers you mentioned as well. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Thank you very much, Logan. I really yeah. appreciate you having me. It's been yeah. a blast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you again soon.